Whether you're an independent artist or a fan that loves them, makingascene.org is the place for you. For the music fan, we bring you in-depth interviews and CD reviews from artists who are on the cutting edge of original music. For the independent artist, we bring you articles on music business, recording techniques, gear reviews, and interviews with industry professionals that give you real-world information to help you negotiate the new realities in the music industry and give you the tools you need to move your career to the next level. We bring you new content every day. Makingascene.org is the number one resource for the independent artists and the fans that love them. Head on over and become part of the Indie Revolution. And now, here's a double shot from our featured artist today, Massey Ferguson. And stay tuned for that interview. It comes up right after these songs. I got the fire of life. I got the guiding light. And I know I'll stop thinking that you were right Cause I don't need your advice I got the fire of life No need to check my false eyes About you, 
up a seat And it goes Up where nobody knows Watching crowds of people as they pass Ferguson from their brand new release, and we got Ethan Anderson on the line right now. Hey, Ethan, how you doing? Hey, I'm okay. How are you? Good, good. It's been a while since we talked. Um, you know, I, I always like to start things off by giving our fans an opportunity to get to know an artist, and the best way to do that is look at their journey, how they got to where they are today. So give us the story of Ethan Anderson and of Massey Ferguson. Well, you know, uh, like a like a lot of musicians, it, it, it all kind of started early. But in the case, uh, in my case, I um, I I didn't get into music until I was a little bit older. But as as I was when I was a kid growing up, my mom was a singer in the church, and um, I just always thought that was so amazing seeing her get up in front of you know a few hundred people and sing and. Uh, I just I thought that was the most amazing thing that I guess it sent the message to me very early on that anybody could get up there and you know if you practice and you get up in front of people and and uh, really deliver something. So I, I was really inspired by my mom when I was a kid. Uh, at one point, somebody in my family had a like a shorty bass guitar that just got donated, and and that that's when I first started playing an instrument. I think. Bass was a little bit less intimidating. Uh, there's only four strings. Um, you know, you don't have to worry about chords. I was pretty excited about that 
aspect. So I started plucking along on that on that shorty bass and started uh, with the help of a friend of mine started writing songs and and I found that to be something that felt like kind of like you know where have you been all my life it was like this aha moment i had as like a 16 or 17 year old like oh i could write my own songs and like my mom i could go and perform in front of people and i thought that was pretty incredible in terms of musical journey i i think it's it's been a it's it's been a slow but slowly but steady uh process i mean i think i'm i'm i've been doing it now i've been performing now for i don't know about 20 25 30 years, something like that, pretty steadily. And I mean, I've toured in 14 different countries, uh, most of that with Massey Ferguson, uh, you know, played all over the U.S., done a ton of festivals, everything from you know, South by Southwest to Music Fest in uh, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, to Iceland Airwaves and Reykjavik, Iceland, and, and all of that. And I, I think the biggest thing, and I, I, I was talking to a friend of mine not that long ago, and I, what I what I really like about music and and maybe one of the big reasons i'm still playing is i feel like it's a connection it gives me a connection to who i was when i was younger and i mean this this music thing um can take me back can transport me into into places like you know who i who i was when i was younger and so when i think about the musical journey i it's almost like every time i pick up a guitar I'm, i'm reminded why i started doing it in the first place and that was you know as a 16 17 year old having that realization that I could put something down on paper, write a song, perform it in front of people, and I didn't have to be a, I didn't have to be some famous rock star or something like that. It's kind of like I said with my mom, it's just, you know, just somebody that has this ability, decides to use it, and has the bravery to get up in front of people and do it. So when I think about my own personal musical journey, it kind of starts and almost ends with that. You know, that's the bookends, you know, the idea of getting up and, uh, you know, being dedicated to to practice and then being brave enough to get up and and speak your truth through your music um with with massey ferguson that we've been playing now i mean i think we're 13 14 years in as a band which i i didn't i didn't expect most bands break up at some point uh well before that at least every band i was in prior to that but we've got a good group of guys that are kind of unified under some of the same premises and we've been able to get out and and have some success and and they talk about really bad record deals and really bad tours breaking up bands i think we've 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 been on two record labels uh and we've been on a number of tours and and i guess they've all gone at least well enough that we haven't broken up so in my mind that's a success okay now uh let's Let's talk a little bit about the release. Um, what was your goal for this particular release? I think, not to sound dramatic, but I think just to stay alive. I mean, in, in 2020, when we started writing some of these songs, everything, at least where we were at in Seattle, Washington, was on complete lockdown. So me and our guitar player started texting back and forth these crappy iPhone recordings of song ideas that we had and and. The first single we put out, Miles Away, was something that almost in its entirety, our guitar player, Adam Monda, took his guitar, wrote that almost that entire song, sent it to me, and then him and I workshopped it a little bit back and forth over iPhone recordings. And, and at one point, when the pandemic was really going, we're like, hey, man, let's just meet up in a park. We'll, we'll wear masks. We'll get our guitars out and just play. And that was 
that was a really cathartic moment. So, I mean, when I when I say, you know, the song for this was kind of an attempt to stay alive, I guess I mean that artistically. You know, as a band, if you're not, um, you know, if, if you're not writing, if you're not creating, you're, as a musician, at least in my mind, you're, you're only really half alive. So, I mean, in some ways, it was like, you know, trying to trying to keep ourselves alive artistically. Okay. Well, let's talk about that process of writing. You know, I'm always interested in, you know, the process that songwriters use to tap into the muse, how they get themselves, you know, into that creative space. When you sit down to write, what is your process that allows you to tap into that muse? You know, I picked up a, a few years ago, I, um, I picked up a book uh, called The Artist's Way. And it's an interesting book because it 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 talk, it's a it's a well known book probably been out thirty years but it, it it talks about really spotlighting your music and um, you know just um, spending the time to do it and I, I think that's kind of the big thing that I keep that I keep coming back to is is time is a big part of it you know setting aside time because I'm not always inspired sometimes I'll just pick up. A guitar, or you know, me and the guitar player Adam Monda, we write a lot together. Sometimes the, the, the things will just flow, but then there's these long chunks of time where they don't flow. And in that time, I think it's almost more important uh, to to just take the time to sit down and write, even if it's you know complete crap. Uh, just the idea of flexing that muscle, I think, will it helps when the inspiration does come because you are a little bit more tapped into the muse because you've been spending time with it. It's like anything, you know, it's like the reason why people talk to their plants to make them grow. It's, it's the reason why you spend time with your loved ones to get closer to them. It's like you have to nurture that, your artistic relationship with the music in order to pull that muse out. Um, and I think that's, I think that's a, I think that's a, a challenge. I think it was Picasso who said that every, everyone is an artist as a child and the, the, the challenge is, staying an artist as you grow up and I, I, fi- I find that to be very true there's a lot of things that make a lot more sense quote unquote as you get older you know uh, making making money and buying a house or, or you know whatever you do as an adult that sitting down and write a song to sitting down to write a song might seem frivolous but in, in some ways it's more nurturing and important than than most people realize and, and something really life affirming at least in, in my in my view so yeah, I mean, I think in, in answer to your question, it's about sitting down with it, spending time with it, nurturing it, and so that when the inspiration comes, you're a little bit more tapped in, even if you've had to go through a little bit of drudgery of like, okay, I'm going to sit down and try to write. Oh, I don't know what I'm going to write, but I'm just going to keep doing it. Okay. Well, that's fair enough. Now, um, let's talk a little bit about melody. You know, I, I find lyrics to be a very structured kind of process. It's a craft within itself. But melody's a little different. You know, some songwriters like to work off the groove. Others like to allow the lyrics to dictate through its cadence. Or even, you know, just a chord structure, the, the fine melodies. What is your go-to when you go looking for melodies? You know, sometimes some of some of the songs that I've written, I I feel like have actually started as melodies, and then I've tried to put chords behind them, and I I really love that. I love the writing that way because melody is so important. It's 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 easy to sit down and pluck out some chords. It's a little bit harder to come up with an interesting melody, and when you can put the two together, when you can marry the two, 
I think you really have a, if you can marry them in a really cool and interesting and provocative way, I think you have a real, that's a real skill there. Uh, in terms of, in terms of melody, I, I think it's, it's again one of those things where you spend some time with it, you, you, you know, kind of massage things a little bit and you, you don't, you know, you, know, you try not to be afraid to, to try something that might not sound good and, and see, see what comes about that. And I, I, I think for me, a big part of even with melody is like revising if there's even a note that could be a little bit cooler or an inflection that could bring that out um, or a different way that it can be expressed, the melody that is, um, I, I think you got to be open to trying it and not get too, not get too precious with it. You can revise anything. Um, so for, yeah, for me, it's like, I, I kind of just try to, if I've got something, try to, you know, put some cool chords around it and then not be afraid to change it a little bit. If, if, um, if something, strikes my fancy uh it makes me want to go into a slightly different direction with that melody okay now you know every songwriter has their little toolkit that they use when they sit down to write you know some um depend on their their phone to kind of capture those momentary ideas others have a home recording studio and they lay out structures and 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 kind of write to those structures and there there are some that just have a pen and a pad in their toolbox um what what is your toolkit look like when you sit down the right uh, you know the toolkit for me is pretty pretty basic and i i think i do that deliberately because i like to have a delineation between writing and recording um i, I i'm not tremendously interested in having a home recording studio and trying to do an album at home. I, it's not that that's a bad thing. I know a lot of people that have home recording setups that are incredible and record amazing music in the comfort of their own home. For me, I like going into the studio. I like separating that from the writing process. Um, as far as the tools, usually, I mean, I'm, I'm a bass player, but I do the writing on guitar. Sometimes I do it on bass, but... Um, the writing for Matthew Ferguson is really a collaborative thing between me and our guitar player, Adam Monda. And I, I love writing as a team with him. It's usually, you know, two guitars and we kind of just start exploring ideas. And, and what I like about his writing is he'll just throw in some line, you know, like some really interesting, um, some really interesting line now, you know, like with this, we got a song that the new single that's coming out off sea rose. That's the one that's um, coming before the album comes out on February 4th, that was something he was plucking around, you know, plucking on not that long ago. Uh, and he had, a, you know, sitting underneath a poplar tree waiting for the breeze to pick up a seed. And I'm like, oh, man, that's interesting. Okay, you know, all right. So, like, a lot of times it'll be built off of one line that maybe I say or he says and uh, off of two guitars, usually in a house, and not in a home recorded studio so you're really just grasping at anything to record and this the easiest in 2021 22 is just to pick up your iphone and get the voice memo function and like i said with writing uh the song miles away that was the other single that came out uh that one was done over iphone almost exclusively over iphone voice memos like hey here you go what do you think hey send me back another okay let me have a listen i'll text you back it's really interesting how that's changed even in five or ten years, but just that ability to instantly send voice memos back and forth. That was a really, that was a really cool tool, tool, uh, tool for us in our toolbox. Okay. 
Now, um, you know, a lot of songwriters, they struggle with the, that moment where they have to put the pen down and, and declare the song at least finished in the writing phase enough to move it to the next phase of production where you give it to the band or the producer and it, allow them to kind of put their fingerprints on it. What do you do to determine that moment in a song's life? That's a great question because really you're never you're never fully done. Now in terms of it, it feels like you're never fully done, but in terms of the chords, the lyrics, the, the melody, all of those kind of things, I think I, I, I usually come to a place where I, I I like every line. I mean, the lyrics are really important to me, and I, it's lyric writing so hard. I probably spend more time writing lyrics than I do any other part besides just practicing practicing songs for a show for example but the writing part it's like the melody and the chords that seems to come fairly easy some of the time most of the time for me and and our guitar player but I, I i usually take what we write together and i take it home and i try to flesh it out with lyrics and that's such a hard thing to do usually i'll declare a song done when i'm i'm really happy with the lyrics and then you know anything else that any other tweaks that happen i think while you're in the studio for example I think are based on tones and sounds and how the song sounds actually. Because really, you know, when you're recording it and on a on a voice memo, when you're plucking it out together in a in a in a room, uh, you know, somebody's apartment or something, it's 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 different than going into the studio and laying all these putting all these layers on it. So I think once the, the lyrics are done. Once the melody is done, the chords are done. All of the you know the structure. Okay, we're going to end. You know, you know, end on the one. Whatever you're going to do. Uh, the studio is a whole different animal. That that that's where for me it's hard to say. Oh, the song is done because you could always be like, okay, well, wouldn't it be cool if we had a cello come in here, or wouldn't it be cool if we added another? You know, we double that that uh, you know we we put more harmony on that lyric or double that guitar line or whatever it is. I think the studio present, it presents more challenges uh, in terms of when something is done. But in the studio, for me, it's, it's like uh, there's there's a moment where you just have to say, okay, I'm going to let this go. You, know, you listen to the mixes, and uh, for me, it's like if I'm if I'm reasonably happy with it, I, 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 I'm normally fine with letting it go, which is why I think deadlines are good. I think for bands, you can, you know, if you, you have a deadline of putting out an album in, you know, the spring of whatever year, like you know you're going to put something out and you're not going to spend years trying to put more on every song and i think that's probably the best way i can answer that okay well let's talk about that studio um, environment going into the studio gives you the ability to create the voice that the song will eventually have you know the song itself is something to say but the voice and its texture and its and its meaning a lot of that comes from how you represent that song in that studio and every artist has their way of working in that environment to capture the sound that best represents that song or the artist himself how do you work in that environment that allows you to capture your sound? You know, that's a that's a great question. We, I, I you know, I, I think immediately back to the album we did in 2016, "Run It Right Into the Wall," and at that point, you know, we got two guys in our in our band that were really into what I guess what we call like 1980s college rock. You know, you're kind of like the replacements, or you know, 
Husker Du, um, you know, bands that were kind of a little bit more on the more in the underground, but kind of like what we we call college rock, like the Tragically Hip. That's our you know band members are really into those guys, and our our drummer was a DJ at his at the college station, so like he knows all all, all these all these sounds from that era, which would be you know, late eighties, early nineties, that kind of thing. And it, when we did that record in 2016, it was like, you know, a lot of the writing we had done felt a little bit like, had had a little bit of leanings towards that, that college rock. It was kind of, you know, rock and twang, kind of like what we do, but it definitely had that, definitely had a little bit of that college rock thing. So we, we experimented with some sounds that we typically wouldn't have done, but what i like about that record in particular is we were we were open to trying something different that that was definitely within our sphere of influences um, definitely within the kind of mean the wheelhouse of uh, that we operate in but something that was a little bit more um a little bit more of a of a of a risk for us and i i really like i thought that was a risk that paid off we had we we recorded the record with johnny sangster who's a great producer in seattle and tours with nico case and he's he's a you know great great producer and also a very honest guy and so i think being open to feedback and being open to somebody suggesting ideas because i think it was johnny's idea to take it in that direction and i think being open i think is a key part to getting that sound you know getting getting the sound that encapsulates what you're going for with a record and with a recording okay now um Tell me a little bit about the lineup. Who's who's in the band? Well, the band is is me, Ethan Anderson on bass and vocals, uh, Adam Monda, uh, guitar player and backing vocals. Got Fred Slater on keys and Dave Getty on drums. Um, and that's been the lineup for that's been the lineup for a long time. Um, prior to that, we had Tony Mann on keys, who ended up um, going out of the country for a while with his family and, and was like, hey, my buddy Fred Slater plays pretty similar to me. And so Fred and Tony are friends. And so when it wasn't a, it wasn't a bad breakup when Tony left, he was like, I'm going to have Fred play with you guys now. So, and they, they're, it's funny because they're about the same height. They play the same, the same deck, uh, fairly similar in style. And uh, both of them are just great human beings. So it wasn't, it was a pretty, pretty nice switch out. Now, once you get, um, a project done you have to get it out you have to create your team and you're working with patty devries of devious planet uh, tell me a little bit about that relationship you know we've been very fortunate with patty she came on really last minute for our last release great divides and it was one of those situations where we were looking to expand the team a little bit and angela backstrom who was doing our radio she's a great radio promoter um based in ohio but we know her through the nashville connection and she said well you should get in touch with patty debris the only problem is uh we were in spain on tour and it was a fairly grueling tour with a lot of dates not a lot of time off and so i had to make some phone calls at odd periods of time and i think i was in placentia spain trying to reach patty at just some crazy hour i think it was it was really early in the morning for me trying to catch her at night in new york or you know, something like that and we had a great conversation she was very understanding and very patient and so I, you know my hat's off to patty she did a great job on almost no notice uh the last record and we're working with her this time around too and and i mean obviously 
we know she's she's really talented at what she does, and uh, I'm really looking forward to continuing working with her. Okay. Now, uh, let's talk a little bit about the industry. Um, you know, going into the studio, getting a publicist, um, all of that is expensive. Um, you know, people don't realize how much is involved in creating a new project. Uh, and we're in this world now where the consumer has embraced streaming as a way to, to consume music. And we're not going back. You know, vinyl ain't saving our asses. It's, you know, it is the way the people consume music and it's not going to change um, as far as that is concerned in the near future. But they've also have that new perception of recorded music that it's not a product. It's not something to purchase. It's a service now that's available on their phone. They expect it to be there. Um, how has this shift in perception of recorded music affected you as an artist? I think it's it's a it's an evolution, and I think we are trying to evolve with it. I I I would love for it to go back to even fifteen. 10, 15 years ago when people were still interested in buying a physical product because it was a lot more gratifying having somebody take home kind of a piece of the show with them and take home a CD, a a record, you know, whatever. Um, I think now it's, I, I would say it's an evolution in the fact that you can get music anywhere at any time and, you know, independent artists can get their product out there pretty easily. That's a good thing. Uh, the 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 amount that you make from streaming is it, it's it's kind of decimated the the whole a, a lot of the merch industry. I mean, just in terms of when you tour, you make a lot of money on merchandise, but that used to be albums uh, as much as anything else, and now that really that's fairly non-existent for most everybody. And I I think it's actually affected all merchandise in general too. I know people buy T-shirts if you know you go to the Iron Maiden concert and get yourself a T-shirt or whatever. But I, I mean I, I I've had we've had shows where people come up to the merchandise table like Hey, I'd like a T-shirt. And you're like All right, well that's twenty bucks. Oh, you got to pay. I'm like Well, you can't stream everything, you know. And so I think in the in the in the in terms of revenue, it's been pretty challenging for for artists that are are playing all the time, touring all the time, uh, to get there, to, to not make anything off of the actual music. Uh, I think in terms of accessibility, it is a good thing, but there needs to be a, I I think there needs to be a reckoning with some of these artists because, uh, especially the independent ones that are putting out great music, but not really getting anything in return. So go, you're not getting anything financially in return, I should say. But going into the studio costs a lot of money. That hasn't changed. I mean, you can do it cheaper than maybe you could have 30 years ago, but it still costs a lot of money to get into a studio and to make a record. It's just you're not going to make... You kind of have that understanding that through streaming, unless you're in, like, the top 1%, you're probably not going to make the money back through sales of your music. I mean, maybe you will touring, maybe you will selling T-shirts. I don't know, but you're not going to make it back from the music, and that's probably the part that's troubling. Yeah, that's definitely. Now, um, when the pandemic hit, a lot of artists went onto the internet, started doing live streams. Um, they started working their social media because they had time on their hands. They started to, you know, put up, you know, pictures of their, you know, what they made for dinner, or, you know, or you know, their 
the funny things their dog does, just like everyone else does. But what happened was is that the fans really kind of picked up on this. And they started to really look at uh, the artists that they listened to differently because they got a chance to see their world like they never did before. Because if you do a live stream, they can see your living room. You know, or your bedroom or wherever you're you're streaming from, you know, they can see that treadmill that you use as a, um, you know, clothesline, you know, uh, that you've never ran on. You know, those are the things that they can see and they can relate to you as as an as a person, as someone like them. And this new world of content creation and social media marketing um is a lot different than what we are used to in the in the past. How are you negotiating this world of new, of content creation and social media marketing? You know, I would say, yeah, I would say sometimes sometimes I do it pretty well. Sometimes I don't. Uh, probably the most successful thing I I did during the pandemic was I would do a live stream off the balcony in, in you know where I live in Seattle. Um, we're on a balcony that's like one story up so it's it's not it's not that far off the ground and it looks almost like a little stage but my wife and I on on every Saturday night I would have her uh I would have her break out the camera and we'd do a live stream and she was kind of part of it too which was a lot of fun she'd be responding to people's messages and you know I'd, I'd have uh, hey you know Cindy you say something and so she'd talk uh occasionally and and it was pretty cool it was it wasn't the same as performing, but I mean, sometimes I get, you know, a thousand, fourteen hundred views and, you know, a hundred comments or something. And it was, it I, I did one about a week ago when we had this giant snowstorm and I just, I put a microphone in the middle of our street in the snow, dressed up like I was at a show, not in a coat or anything like that, brought out a guitar and just started playing some songs and like, just the reaction was enormous. Just people sharing it all over the place, people commenting, folks that I hadn't talked to in a long time. So I think the live stream, you know, it's what's good about it is it's a chance to connect with people who would never step out of their house to come see you at a show. You know how some, you know, with the show, folks are like, what time does it start? You could start at 6 p.m. And they're like, oh, well, I'm in bed every night at 7.30 or something. You know, it's too late for me. Everyone's got an excuse why they don't want to go to a show. Uh, live stream helps those people out in particular and um, <laughs> I think the content creation I know people that are really good at that and I, I think you, there's a fine line between oversharing and uh, being accessible to your audience I, I've seen a lot of people just kind of share way too much I like I don't want to see the inside of their apartment for example um, you know I'd like to keep some kind of mystique uh, I'd like for my, you know, my favorite artists to have some kind of mystique, but it's made it a little bit more egalitarian in the fact that it's like, you know, artists are people too, and they're they're stuck inside in this pandemic just like you, and and all of that. I would like to get better at that kind of thing. I really, really would like to get better at uh, creating content that's relevant, interesting, that promotes the music, but also is, um, I don't know, giving a window into who I am or who we are as a band. Yeah, you know, I think that that's something that we're going to see as we go forward. It's the new way to market for independent artists. And you got to look at the internet almost as a broadcast network and your branding for your band or, or you as an artist is, is almost, 
you have to look at it like a reality show where you're creating this this authenticity of who you are as people yet still guarding some of your privacy but i think that this is what people want to see and there's a huge potential fan base like you said that wouldn't go to a show normally you know i mean we all know that live music had its issues before the pandemic but there was this whole big potential fan base that lives on the internet that would never go to a small venue to see an artist create music in the moment you know they they didn't have that frame of reference now we're bringing that to them and and this whole sense of celebrity this this reality show kind of mentality really is something that they they gravitate to that particular fan base so when they go past that marquee and they see the name up there they'll say hey i know these guys you know i i see them on tiktok i see them on facebook or i know you know we're friends on instagram or whatever the case may be and that may be enough to to kind of make them go buy a ticket at the door and go see you in person you know what i mean yeah, exactly. And that's my hope anyway. Well, it's all our hopes, you know, that it would work. Now, you know, I really appreciate you coming on the show and talking with us. And uh, we're going to give everyone out there a double shot from your new release. You guys are going to love this. Turn it up loud. Open the windows. Screw the neighbors. We're going to have some fun.
artist or a fan that loves them, makingascene.org is the place for you. For the music fan, we bring you in-depth interviews and CD reviews from artists who are on the cutting edge of original music. For the independent artist, we bring you articles on music business, recording techniques, gear reviews, and interviews with industry professionals that give you real-world information to help you negotiate the new realities in the music industry and give you the tools you need to move your career to the next level. We bring you new content every day. Makingascene.org is the number one resource for the independent artists and the fans that love them. Head on over and become part of the Indie Revolution. Make you shout now, honey. Gonna make. 